Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Oh, man, guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a freaking badass guest today with Jimmy Ferris. I'm so pumped to have him here. I got to be on his show. We were like friends of friends, and, and I was like, man, I'm going I'm to become buddies with that dude. And, and and it was like fast friends right out of the gate. I got to be on the show, hang out. We like it was like a bro fest, a learning fest, a knowing fest. I was just like absorbing the moment. And so I was like, dude, I can't wait to continue this conversation when he's on my show. And so here we are. Um, dude, before we get started though, brother, do you mind if I give a little bit of housekeeping with uh with our audience? Hundred percent. I know the drill. All right, cool. Um, so guys, look, welcome to the greatest machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And the format of the show here is quite simple. We're bringing together change makers who are living their passions to create greatness in the world. And our man, Jimmy Ferris, dude, you've had a lot of greatness and you have a lot of passion. So uh, we're gonna get to, we're gonna be getting into that in a second here. A couple of things to know about live streaming, guys. Look, we're live, okay? So start a watch party, ask us questions. I got my team on standby. They're gonna be sending questions over our way as they come in. Um, but like I said, man, we got a very special guest here and. Um, I, I have to tell you, man, I think you're the first professional athlete I've interviewed on the, on the show. So, so uh, dude, nice. there's a first for everything. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about Jimmy, though. All-American at the University of Montana as a receiver. He was drafted and it was with the 49ers. Is that correct? Niners, yep. He was drafted to, into the NFL with the 49ers and played six seasons. And he was a, this one's huge, a Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots. And dude, like, there you go, baby. I love that. I, uh, I, I wore that for you. I put this, I was like, I got to flex this on the greatness machine today just for Darius. So I love that, man. And, 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 
And, you know, those are all like the accolades and the sports and stuff like that. And, and I think that's just you living your passions to, to create greatness as a young man. And now, now, now as an older, more distinguished man, you're living your greatness in a new way um, with Be A Pro. And that's your platform. So, so Jimmy uh, has built his new platform called Be A Pro. And this is his live streaming virtual seminar and coaching platform. He's also a coach with Kaizen. And he's doing some really cool things, working with people to help elevate them and elevate the world. And so, man, I'm so proud to have you on the show. Did I miss anything, by the way? No, oh, man, that was that was amazing. That was great. So thanks, man. Um, well, bro, dude, welcome to the show, man. I'm so pumped to have you here. Me too. I really appreciate it, man. It was it was great when we were able to connect. And I, like I said, I've been watching your live stream just because I, you know, I, I saw you on shows with um, Isaac and Amber, and I was like, I love this dude, man. We've gotta, we've gotta get on each other's shows and um, just chop it up, man, because it does feels just more like conversation, just like two old buddies kind of shooting the shit. So I love yeah. it. Well, you know, you know, like the one of the, and maybe you, I'll ask you this. Like one of the cool things I like about doing the show is. I, and I do, and you know, we're both doing the show a fair amount is like, do I get to meet tons of cool people? And then I get to make new friends. And so like, like fast friends, like I, I, I like once a week, twice a week, I meet someone. I'm like, dude, this guy, if he lived next door to me, we'd be hanging out all the time. Yes, literally. Exactly. I, I was, I was saying that to Isaac the other day. I was like, man, when everything calms down, I can't wait to get some of these people together so we can actually hang out, like actually vibe and just, you know, spend time together. That's the best. Yeah, and 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 then we got some, we probably got a ways to go for that with 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 the world's app, but but until then we just get to go hang out on each other's shows. We'll do we'll do a happy hour, you guys. We're gonna do a happy hour. We just get drunk together. Oh. I don't know if you drink, but but I'm gonna get you drunk. I'm a vodka Red Bull guy. I'll do I'll do a you know a couple. I I like to just get buzzed. I don't ever get drunk. I get perfectly buzzed and uh, take the edge off a little bit and and uh, brings me out of my shell. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I that's I, I like that. Um, I, I do like to get drunk too, but but not that often. So like I, like my buddy says, like when I was twenty years old, I went on this uh, cruise ship around the world. It's like a semester at sea where you live on a cruise ship and you start in Vancouver, Canada. It's through it was through University of Pittsburgh. Now it's through the University of Virginia or Colorado. Um, you start. We started as a cruise ship with six hundred college students, twenty years old. Dude, like this is like a recipe for insanity. I was say I, I can already I already know where this is going. And so uh, I go on this thing and, and I'm 20, dude. And I'm, and I'm just like a younger version of myself. I'm just a maniac. And we go, we go to Vancouver to Japan, Japan to China, China to Vietnam, Vietnam to Malaysia, Malaysia to India, India to Israel, up the Red Sea to Israel, Israel to Turkey, Turkey to Italy, Italy to Morocco, Morocco to Miami. 100 days. Wow. Just, yeah, it was insane, dude. So the, I wasn't saying that to brag. I was saying that to tell you a story that my buddy, who's this guy, he's like this like one of my closest friends still, longtime friend. And he's like, dude, there's three versions of Darius when he drinks. And it still, it still holds up to this day. There's Darius when he's sober. Like, dude, you're, you're hanging out with Darius right now. There's Marius when I'm buzzed. And then there's Scarius when I'm fucking blacked out. <laughs> I, I I heard you talk about these these three characters um, on your show, or maybe when you were on with Amber. I was going to add another one, which I would call hilarious. Oh, dude, that's hell yeah, man! Hilarious. Which is, which is when you are just in total off the wall mode, man. You some crazy crazy stuff comes out of your mouth. Yeah, I'm, I, I I can blame my mom for that, dude. My mom says crazy shit, uh, so that's it's all genetic. Um, yeah. So, dude. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, we'll have to. You'll have to meet Marius. He'll he'll come hang out. Scariest, yeah. ain't invited. Um, yeah, but, dude, Jimmy, uh, what I want to do is is you know, 
I really want to ask you a couple of like questions, like having been a high performing athlete and ha and I'm assuming you still consider yourself an athlete. Cause I think once you're an athlete, you're always an athlete. Um, and it's just how you use that athleticism, right? Uh, mentally, physically, yep. it's all the same. It's all connected, but you know, growing up, I'm assuming you're the hardest working guy in the room and you got a lot of accolades for it, you know, in sports that carried through college. You, you use that work ethic to probably make your dream. And I'm guessing that was your dream was to get in the NFL. Is that yeah, a, yeah. a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. I, I actually, um, I still have the, uh, a sheet of paper that I wrote the goal down on when I was 10 years old. My fifth grade teacher passed out little Xerox handout, had a bunch of questions. And, and one of the questions was, um, you know, what's your lifetime goal? And I wrote at 10 to play in the NFL, to play pro football. Right. So I do this thing in my company, in my business, and now my former company. Um, and I say to people, and I do it now actually when I do, when I do uh, speaking seminars, I say, okay, I want you to write down on a piece of paper, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? Right. So you did that. And, I did it. Yeah. And, right. And, 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 and most people know in their brain. Right. And then I, and I'll ask them, I'll say, read it off. What do you want to be? Right. And then I say, after I, I usually, I do it in like, like, you know, like small groups that I'm doing like facilitations in when I was, when I was in my company, I would do it in groups of 15. I'd say, raise your hand if that dream came true. And more than likely 99 out of hundred times, the answer was no. I'm in a mortgage company, by the way. So like most people didn't dream to be in a mortgage company. Right. Like how many of you did you actually, did that actually, how are you do, living? I said, how many of you are actually living that today? Right. Or, or had that dream come true. And 99 out of 100 would say no. The one time out of 100, it came true was either to your, like in your example, they, they got to it at some point in their young life or their parents were in the mortgage industry. And I said, you know, it's very rare that people get to live their dreams from their 10 year old self. I said, but as an adult, we have an opportunity to build a business that's greater than ourselves and to be a part of that. And that's, and that's actually what motivated me to build the business I built and to write my book and to do what I'm doing now. So my question for you is, dude, you're like one of those few people that actually lived out your 10 year old dream. That's, that's by the way, like kudos to you, but that's insane. And that's like super rare. Right. Thank you. So having done that, you then had to deal with the other side of that, which you then lost that dream. Right. <laughs> Six years. Like, like I'm guessing like, uh, as if you get in the NFL when you're like 22, 21, 23, somewhere around there, yep, 23. Right, so you're 23, six seasons means you're out by the time you're 28, 29, depending on what part of the, the year it is. So before the age of 30, your dream was done, right? And you and it was a damn good dream, dude. You fucking won the Super Bowl, which is like awesome, right? But you lived the, the dream until it was done. And so I want to ask you what might be a tough question, which is how did that feel at that moment? It was, dude, I, I it's kind of the centerpiece of everything I'm doing now. I was... Um, I was lost for a couple of years. Um, I felt like I'd completely lost my identity, you know, since literally since the time I was 10, um, my whole goal, my whole dream had been to play pro football. And so I'd spent 20 years up to that point. I retired when I was 30 officially and it wasn't voluntary really. It was, you know, I didn't walk away on my terms. It was just because I couldn't get signed. No team wanted my services. And it's not, it's not, abnormal at 30 for an NFL player, if you're not a pro bowler or a superstar, then they start to try to get you out of there. You know, they're, they gotta, they gotta pay me three times as much as they gotta pay a 21 year old 
to do the same thing that I can do. And so um, it's not abnormal to be done at 30, but you know, I, at that point in time, I'd spent two thirds of my life, basically 20 of my 30 years dreaming about being a pro football player and going about that process of all the workouts, all the sacrifice, all that type of stuff to be the best I could be in high school and then the best I could be in college. And then all of my 20s were spent focused solely on football. And so, man, I, I was dealing with a loss of identity, loss of purpose, loss of structure. You know, I didn't have a facility or a building to go to anymore that felt like kind of a second home base. I didn't have a trainer that I could walk into the weight room that handed me a card and said, here's what you have to do today. I didn't have a coach that was constantly giving me feedback about, hey, you're doing this really well. I need you to be better here. So, dude, I was just waking up every morning like, I don't know what to do today. You know, I know I kind of want to work out. I kind of want to work towards something, but I don't know what that is. I don't have anybody helping me or telling me what to do. That That's that's kind of the the crux of what I struggled with the most was that loss of structure combined with loss of identity, loss of passion, loss of purpose. Um, you know, I always refer to it as climbing mountains. You know, I'd climb my first mountain, come down the other side of it. I was standing in the valley and it was like, you know, what's the next mountain to climb? Do I even have what it takes to climb another mountain? You know, you deal with those self-belief questions. What was, was my greatness limited just to being an athlete, just to football? Do I have anything to offer the world or a potential company that would hire me? I, it was so many questions, man. It was, it was, um, it was a definite down period of my life for sure. And I, and you know, you feel really alone and really isolated because the only other people that you, you know, personally that are going through the same thing are guys that you played with that are now on the back end of their career or dealing with retirement too. And sometimes that can just turn into a big pity party because they don't necessarily know what to do either. So you hang out with those guys and everybody's just like, yeah, this shit sucks, you know? And it, it took a lot of work personally for me um, with mentors and, and personal development, things like that to really start to move forward. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, you're, I have a friend, who, a, a friend from college who's really good friend from high school is Drew Bennett. And so, uh, who was, uh, what he was the, uh, tight end for the, uh, Titans, right? Tennessee. Yep. Yeah. So I saw him come out. I, I saw him come out of, he did pretty well financially, right? He was pro bowler and, and he made a lot of money. Um, and then he came out and, but same sort of thing. It's like, then he was, you know, kind of family guy and invested some of the money and was trying to get into business at that point. Um, but I got to imagine that going from i mean dude the highs of playing in a professional football team to normal life civilian life is pretty wide that, that's a pretty wide mark dude that's what I, that's what i always try to explain to people is that um when you're a pro athlete life inside the walls of an nfl facility or an nba facility it's not real life um you know i had so many things that it it, it sounds probably crazy people are like man this is this is wild but for a couple of years after i retired um, every time I needed to go to the doctor or the dentist or something like that, I would call one of the old trainers with the Falcons. Cause I, I had made my home in Atlanta. And so I was still close with those, those trainers at the Falcons and say, you know, Hey Ron, I need to, I need to get in to see the dentist. You know, can you call Dr. Gentry's office and see if they can get me in? And he's like, Ferris, you're a grown man. Like call him yourself, you know, but, but for, for 15 years, you know, from college and, and then through the pros, 
when, when I needed to see the doctor, I would tell the trainer and then he would come up to me an hour later and say, Hey, I got you. I got you in with Dr. Gentry. I got you in with Dr. So-and-so. Um, I had a Reebok shoe deal. So I had Reebok shoes and clothing apparel. So it had been 10 years since I'd really gone to the store and bought some athletic shoes or workout clothes. And so, um, you know, there was all these different things that I was dealing with, like, man, I got to figure out how to really navigate stuff kind of on my own. It wasn't, it wasn't real life. And at 30, you think you would have a lot of this stuff figured out. And I certainly thought that I did. Um, you know, I did what, what I was told or what I thought were the right things with my money. You know, I'd put myself in a position to have a life after football, but you know, you think that while you're playing, but you don't realize what the reality of life is going to be when all of that is gone. When, like I said, you're sitting there on a day-to-day basis, like what, what do I even need to focus on? What do I need to do? What's everybody else doing? And what everybody else was doing was they were six, seven, eight years into building their career at the, you know, a company they took their first job with or a company that they started. And now they're working on promotions and I'm sitting here at 30, like shit, I'm starting over. I'm literally starting at ground zero and I don't have the skills. I don't feel like I necessarily have the skills to just kind of take this thing to another level or to a different place on my own. So, so right. So at 30, you come out of this bubble, right? And like, arguably you've been in the bubble bubble now for probably 14 years, because my guess is you were the best high school football player in your town or in your state or whatever. And so when you're that, when you're the best at a sport in high school, especially football, like do people bow down, right? You get really special treatment in the school, outside of the school, you know, girls, whatever you're interested in. So you, you're kind of, you get this like demigod status, like at a pretty young age, right? Like yeah. probably like 15, 16 years old is when that started. And then that went all the way to your 30. That's, a, that's half your life at that point where you've been exactly. like larger than life and people just kind of gave you what you wanted, right? To a certain degree, right? Obviously, yeah. depending on how, how big of a demigod you are, but enough where it's like normal mortals don't have that life, right? So now they're like, yeah, demigod, fuck off. Like, here's real life. Go, go do your own shit. And so dude, they really like kind of drop you in the deep end and it's d- deep as fuck. And they tie some weights around your waist and they're like, see you on the other side. Maybe bro. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly how it feels because when you're a player, when, when you can say, Hey, I'm Jimmy Ferris of the Washington Redskins or the Atlanta Falcons. When, you know, sometimes there were times where I wanted to get in touch with anybody really i could go to one of our pr guys the office say hey i'd like to get in contact with x y and z actually a funny story i um i'm a i'm not ashamed to admit i i watched the bachelor and the bachelorette i have for a long time and uh yeah you know whatever i like trash reality tv it's always funny storylines but funny story about that so um back in like oh three i was watching the bachelor and one of the girls that made it to the into the top two uh, who ultimately didn't get picked the guy picked the other girl um i was like man she I had a crush i was like she is she's cute she's cool all this type of stuff so i went to one of our pr guys with the falcons and i said i want to meet this girl she lives in new york we're playing the giants in two weeks get her on the phone tell her i want to meet her and let's set something up and so literally like that by the end of the day he was like hey i got it all set up 
Um, you know, we fly in on Saturday, you guys are going to go out to dinner. Then I had a, I got her a ticket and a sideline pass for the game the next week. And it was just, you know, I mean, that's kind of a silly example, but that's the reality of, of how the type of access you have when you have a pro sports organization attached to your name. Um, you know, we could, I could call Mr. Blank, the owner of the Falcons and say, I'd like to meet this guy. Who's the CEO of whatever company. And you've got a platform, you've got an automatic in with these people. But now take yourself as a retired former pro athlete, a guy who's no longer playing, a guy who can't get corporate tickets or anything like this for any of these people. And now you're trying to call people and say, hey, I'd like to meet this person. Or I'd like to get connected with this person. It's like, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you and we'll let you know. All of those connections and all of those things that you had such e easy access to, they're gone, right? And so here I was operating this whole time thinking like, man, I'm, I can, I can access anybody. I can, um, you know, knock on anybody's door. I can have a conversation with anybody a year later. It's like, I don't even know where to turn. I don't, I don't have any connections anymore. I don't have any access anymore. Yeah. You know, it's funny you just reminded me. So, that, so when I was, um, so I started my first company when I was 20, like real company when I was 25, I started a bunch of businesses before then, but but I was I I would I was trying to become a professional athlete as an entrepreneur, right? In, in the world of entrepreneurism. So yeah. and I was and I started really young, which you know, like entrepreneurism starting in your teens and doing it into your twenties, like that's pretty early to do it. So I so I kind of viewed that as my like pro athlete type of deal, right? Is like I'm trying to make it up into the pros as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and that was literally how I thought of it. Like I'm gonna be a pro, like I'm gonna run a big company, right? Um, and so I um my first company I built when I was 25 was number 40 and 500. And we went from myself to about 150 employees in three years as a mortgage uh, lender. And, and then it blew up. So in 07, subprime mortgage lending blew up the world. And I didn't mention that I was a subprime mortgage lender. <laughs> so, um, so it was funny was a, a bunch of people that I had helped bring up who made a lot of money working with me, kind of over like the last year or so of the business when it blew up, everyone left. And, I, and dude, a lot of these people are people I pull up straight out of college, groomed them. Like, dude, these guys went from like literally like working at a bar as a bar back to making like 300 grand a year. Wow. And I taught them how to do that. Right. And I was like, and dude, the minute it got tough, a lot of them left really quickly and some of them stuck it out a little bit, but inevitably all of them left. And then they all started like, and the funny thing was that I was in my mid twenties when I had this business. So I was 25. So I was 28 running a 150 person company, which dude, that's like, that's not normal. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Not normal. Right. That's kind of like, the, it's not the same as playing in the NFL, but it's my version of it. It's that level though. I mean, it's literally that, that, that that's the performance level is the same. Well, and, and the other level it is, is that you are somebody like, oh, yeah. it, this is a CEO and they yes. walk in it's a miniature version of the NFL, but, but it's like, you walk in and I'm the boss and people say, this is our CF CEO. And they're like him. He's like a kid. And, and so, and there comes like, and that's like a moment where people are like, wow, this is, this guy's an animal, right? And it makes you feel different, right? That becomes a huge piece of your identity. Totally. And that's where I'm going with this. So then, so dude, I get invited to and, and everything, parties. I walk in, boss just rolled in. Everyone comes up and wants to like be seen with me. And then the company blows up. And this is my favorite quote, as I learned as an as a adult is, you know, success has many fathers and failure is a fucking orphan. That's right? it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Ah, that's so true. Such a good quote, dude. And so I became when I became an orphan. This was the this was the moment. All these people that were always inviting me shit, dude, they turned their back and they all started going to hang out together and didn't invite me to anything anymore. Oh wow. And I was like, hey dude, I listen, man. I'm like a I'm I'm a heart-centered person, dude. I, I do I want good for people and I love and I love on people like like true and true. I'm not using I don't use people, right? And I was like, whoa. And it and it, and it broke, dude. I'm gonna tell you this, it broke my heart. Like I was like, wow, these I thought these people were my friends, right? And so, but I realized something was that yeah, they were young too, dude. And they and they and and there's a when you leave a business, you sometimes want some separation so you get your own identity and you want to kind of reestablish yourself. And I didn't and I didn't wasn't th- I was thinking about myself, but um, I also noticed that people my vendors treated me different when I went, my business went from big to small. Everyone kind of treated me differently, and yep. I real I re- and then I got really kicked in the balls way harder. Then my business shut got shut down. And I went into and I had to had to go do a joint venture, and I wasn't the CEO, and it was and, and I had to do two of them, and I wasn't the CEO in either of them, and I'd ask people to do stuff because dude, I'm all about running a good business. Yes, and I'd be like, hey, hey, this thing's broken over here. We need to fix it, and I'd get one of these. Yeah, I'm busy right now, and I'm like, the fuck. <laughs> I was like, dude, this is a big problem, and I realized that as a CEO, people do things for me because I'm the CEO. That's it. I, yeah. And I didn't learn that till this is, dude, I'm five years after getting my ass kicked in 07. It's 2011, people are doing this to me. And I, so I spent a few years of, uh, in purgatory getting my ass kicked and then having that done to me. And I was like, oh shit, people fucking give you special treatment when you're the CEO. <laughs> and which, which, by the way, I don't have a big ego. So for me, I just thought that they did the right thing because it was the right thing to do when I asked them to do it, not because I was like the commander in chief, right? So the reason I say all that was I learned a lesson. I listened to this guy do a talk and you reminded me of the talk. I wanted to give you my experience on this. So you understood why this mattered. What, what you said resonated a lot with me mm-hmm. because of my experience. But there was a guy who was this, um, I want to say he was like a senator or like a head of like a huge company. He was someone like who had major clout. Let's just say he was this, the C, let's just say he was the head of like secretary of state or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. The United States at one point. He goes to a speaking event. He says, I come in, they let me in through the back door. I got my special room. I get in there. There's a basket with fruit. There's like all this special treatment stuff, like food. Someone comes in, they see if I'm okay. They're like catering to me. And and I'm like, wow, this is cool. I go, I do my speech. Limo picks me up, takes me to the airport. I fly home first class. Next year I come back and I'm no longer the secretary of the state. And I'm again, I'm making up the title of this person. Yeah. I show up. They bring me into the front door. They don't have a special room for me. They give me a cup of coffee and a styrofoam cup. No one cares. No one does anything for me. And then I got to find my way back to the airport. And I realized something in that moment. So I realized that it wasn't about me. It was about me honoring the position that I held. And the position is what they were paying tribute to, not me as a person. Mm-hmm. And so when I thought about what you were saying is, it wasn't Jimmy Ferris. It was Jimmy Ferris, the professional athlete who's providing value for this larger platform. 100%. Yes. And the same for myself. Darius, it was, it, it may, maybe there was people in there trying to get something from me, but it really was not. It was respecting the CEO position of a company that they either needed something from or that they were supporting in their efforts as an employee. And so I learned that the position that I'm a human being just like they are, and they're respecting the title, not me. And maybe they respect me as a person too, but I'm okay with them respecting the title and I'm okay with them respecting the office 
but I can't have my identity tied to it. And even now, man, I just left a CEO of a big company. And dude, I got people that same shit. Hey, what's going on? Can we get on a call? Crickets. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you know who you are, by the way, people. Like, right. Like, like, like calling you out right now, actually, if you're watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, all you like, you think I don't fucking notice that a year ago, if I called you, you jump two seconds and now you don't return my fucking text. Dude, yeah. What do you think? I'm not a fucking idiot. So, but there, but, but it's okay. It's all good. I know you're disrespecting the office. So the point is, is that I don't know. I just wanted to share that story because how, my question for you, I, I guess maybe you might have some comments on what I said, but sure. question for you is, when you got to the point to realize it wasn't about Jimmy Ferris, the person, it was Jimmy Ferris, the, the receiver for the professional sports organization. How did you then move out of that? So you learn that really quickly because, you know, we, we all like to think oftentimes of ourselves and our, our impact or, you know, the, the, the value that we offer sometimes greater than it is. Right. And so I went through a process where, Every time I left a team and went to a new team, you're, you're kind of surprised. Your feelings are a little bit hurt about how quickly they move on and replace you. Right. You know, there's, the next season you're watching the Falcons play and there's another guy wearing your old number and they think he's the new great thing and doing the, It's like, man, they forget you quickly and they move on quickly. And when you retire and you're just no longer in the league, you literally go from the last game that you played to being an NFL player to a couple months later, you're literally a has been, right? And you've still got you've still got connections with some of those people, and people still remember you. And for me, you know, I spent a year before I actually retired. I spent a full year in 2009, still working out, staying in shape, hoping to get a call, hoping to get signed. And so it took a while to to really let go of that. But what what really happened for me? To your point was, I realized that um, you know everything that I'd worked for, every everything that I'd tried to build, everything that I did did build, everything you know, every achievement and all those type of things. Um, those were really the only that was really the only thing that that I had left personally because I didn't have a title anymore. I wasn't a guy that played pro sports or played in the NFL. I still had a Super Bowl ring, but you know that was old news. Um, and again. For me, that loss of that loss of identity, and then trying to figure out, okay, well, who actually am I? If I'm not an NFL player, if I'm not a pro football player, who who am I? Because answering that question will tell me what impact can I make. Who do I want to serve? What do I want to do moving forward? And um, I, I guess maybe I get I'm a, a, a little kind of off the topic now, but but for me, what that what that realization was is that. That person that I'd become and that goal that I had chased and achieved and that dream that I had lived was really self-serving, right? It was, it was, and not in a bad way, but it was me saying, hey, this is something I want to do. These are achievements and accomplishments that I want. My entire football career was about me doing uh, something that I wanted, achieving a goal that I'd set. And other than my family and some people here and there, I was really the only one that benefited from it, right? I made a bunch of money. I made almost $2 million by the time I was 30, um, won a Super Bowl. I'd done these cool stuff. But then I was like, okay, who's better because of all of that? Who benefited from all of that? Who, you know, who was impacted by that? And so 
I guess to really answer your question, the, the real shift happened for me when I was retired and I was like, you know, I've achieved everything, most things that I personally want to achieve. And so what I want to do moving forward is do things that basically correlate to me winning. When I win, when I achieve a goal, it's because other people were impacted and other people have benefited. So I didn't want to just go work for a company. I didn't want to just say, okay, well, let me just try to climb this next ladder and become Jimmy Ferris, the CEO, or let me just try to go, you know, do something where I can make a couple hundred grand a year and continue my lifestyle. Um, I really felt like, you know, for, for me to now create part of my platform, create the best version of myself and to really be fulfilled and kind of live my next dream. It had to be me chasing significance to be impactful, to make people better because they come in contact with me rather than just chasing more success. And, um, you know, when I was playing football, the, the, the two were just so closely connected. I was like, Oh, I'm Jimmy Ferris, the football player. And everybody loves me because I'm a great guy. And then you realize like, no, everybody loved you because of what you did. And so now you need to move forward and do things that are impactful to other people that make a difference for other people and get your fulfillment that way. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you. They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user 
for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And so um, I'm going to say one thing that we have a question from the audience. Um, What I just heard you say is that you went from a place where you were respected for the work you were doing and then you dealt with a pretty harsh blow to get to, to, to come back down to a new reality, right? Because because your reality was was your reality up, up until it wasn't, right? And that's how it all is for everybody. But the difference is, is that there was a you were you were on a very high platform that that you then got ripped off of. And I didn't even think about that. That it's not like you didn't get picked up by a team and you're like, oh, I'm retired. You're like, you didn't get picked up from a team. Then you worked your ass off. You did what you knew. You followed this path that had worked for you for the last 15 years. And then it didn't work. Yes. And then you had to like tell yourself, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I'm not allowed to do this anymore. And then you had to mourn the loss of that. A hundred percent. And that was, that was when it was kind of the deepest and the darkest is when you're you're mourning the loss of something that you still really wanted. You know, I mean, it's literally like, you know, losing the love of your life, basically, because at that point in time, you know, it's one of the things I go, I go in depth on in the book. I mean, that was football was my first love. And, and, you know, outside of my family, maybe still to this day, the, the only true love of my life, something that I was totally committed to, totally dedicated to made multiple, many, many sacrifices for over a number of years. And so now you got to just let that go and say, okay, well, um, you know, is everything I built just for nothing now? Because, um, it's not, it's not serving me anymore, right? Those, all of those, those bricks that I laid in that field, they're not serving me anymore. So you mourn the loss and then you, you try to figure out how you're going to rebuild and, and how to start over. And I, again, I realized that people respected me for when I was playing football for who I was, which was as a professional athlete. And the shift for me was when I realized I want people to respect me for, what I'm doing. In other words, the impact that I'm making and the the significance that I can have in other people's lives. Yeah. So where I heard you go with that, and this is where, you know, my book, it talks about this from an organizational standpoint, which is you went to uh, pass the tactical. The tactical was Jimmy Ferris football player, but Jimmy Ferris is still a badass human being. You just applied that badassery to the pigskin, right? You just said that was where you like, dude, you don't go from a 15-year-old, 10-year-old kid writing down want to be a pro athlete to then doing it 13 years later unless you're a fucking badass, okay? That's, let's just, everyone, let's just so we know you're a fucking badass if you do that, okay? Number one. Number two, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rant for a minute here. Go for it. Take away football and make your 10-year-old self say you want to do something else that's hard as hell to do. That badass would have done some version of that, right? So the badass was there. But you, you're young, dude. We're, when you're tw- in your 20s and in your 30s, you're trying to figure out what the fuck you are. You're like, I don't, you don't know what you are because you're still young, dude. And, and also, pepper on that, that people treated you probably artificially wet, better than they would have 
if you weren't that, that, exactly. that, that just exacerbates the issue, right? Exactly. They're, they're not doing it because they love you as a person. Maybe some of them are. A lot of them are just doing it because you're good at football, right? Which is, that's like one element of, that's just an expression of your badassery, right? So then you have to untangle that shit and be like, no, no, I am a badass. And, that's, and, and to your point, what, what I think, what I just heard you say, bro, is that you realized I'm a badass. I mean, you probably knew that the whole time, but you like wrestled with it because like I'm doing it right now, dude. I'm, I'm, I just left being a CEO for 20 years, mm-hmm. right? And finally got what I wanted. You know, I finally got to build that thousand person organization. And then I said, then I left it because it, it wasn't serving me. And then I'm like, well, I know I'm badass, but what's my, and, and I've done this one. I, I dealt with the identity issue once before, right? Where I, where, where I learned from that, right? So now I'm a little older and wiser. And I'm like, what matters? And what I think I heard you say is that you figured out your purpose and you figured out your values and then you leaned into those super hard. And now I'm hearing you talking from the, with that language. Am I, am, I, am I hearing you? Yeah, yeah. So here, here's the key piece to that though, You know, to be very kind of transparent. Um, it took me probably three or four years to do that and go through that process. And um, I mean, looking back, obviously it's, I'm like, man, I'm thankful for that. Right. But it, at the time it was, it was not something that I was proud of the place where I was. I was not proud of that. I was basically just faking it for three or four years. And I remember um, vividly having a conversation with my mom where I was sitting in my, uh, uh, um, sitting in my vehicle outside of the gym parking lot. It was kind of late at night. I was living in Boise, Idaho at the time. And um, we had a conversation. I just, she was like, you know, you, you just need to, you know, you're, she was saying all these things that mothers say, which, which were all the things I needed to hear. She was basically just saying like, you're such a hard worker. You're so committed. You're so passionate. You're a winner. Like you will get you will get back to another mountaintop. That was that language comes from my mom. She always, she was saying basically, you're not, you're not finished. You're not over. You're just changing mountaintops. And and I remember saying to her, probably for the first time in my life, saying something like this. I was like, you know, I I don't know if that's true. I was like, I I was great in football, but I don't I don't know if I've got it in me to be great at anything else. Maybe that was my one mountaintop. You know, maybe God gives us like one really fucking awesome thing to do in life and when it's over, then it's over and maybe maybe that was it. Maybe I'll never climb another mountain. Maybe I'll just be kind of an average dude the rest of my life. And I was at that moment like really questioning myself i i i'd I'd lost that self-belief that said like you know you were saying that i'm the type of person who because i was able to do one thing like i'm just a badass period and if i apply that same mentality to anything that if i go back to that 10 year old self and say well let's just apply to something else like i'm just a badass dude in that moment i was questioning whether or not i was a badass i was i was i was saying like maybe i'm not Maybe, maybe it was only in that area. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm nobody. Maybe I'm just an average dude that's not capable of, of doing anything great again. And um, so I, that was a real struggle for me, man. And it took, you know, this is kind of part of the journey. This is part of the, be, the, the evolution of be a pro is it wasn't until I, I 
I had a conversation with myself in the mirror literally one day. I mean, not not even um, metaphorically. I I looked in the mirror and I was like, this dude I'm looking at is a piece of shit. And you're not doing any of the things that you used to do to be happy, successful, fulfill, whatever. And it was at that point that I started to realize, like, I got a blueprint over here to your point that I used to take it to the top of, of an industry, the, as high as you can go in pro football. And I'm over here wondering, why am I not having that same type of success? Why am I not happy and fulfilled? And, you know, why isn't anything working out for me? Because at this point in time, I tried a couple of different business ventures and they failed. And, and the answer was like, dude, because you're not doing any of the same shit. You're not applying the blueprint. You're not, you're not doing any of the things you used to do. Right. You're not applying any of the things that you know. And so I just started going back. Like, what was I doing when I was 15 years old? What was my mindset? And I just started slowly, one by one, applying things like, yep, that worked for me. Yep, I'm going to take that. That worked for me. Using those tools. And that's how I built back, dude. And, and so your point was spot on. I had a blueprint. I had a toolbox. I had all the, 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 the strategies that I needed. And the reason why I was so low is because I, 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 I was dealing with loss of identity, all this other stuff that got me down. And I was just like, I want to disconnect from that person because right. that person and that life is bringing me pain right now because I'm not that guy anymore. Right. And, and because of that, I, I went low. And when I was like, you know what, let me embrace that motherfucker that did all that stuff and let me put his blueprint back in play. Let me open up his toolbox again. And that's when I started to build back. So uh, thank you for sharing that, by the way, that's dude, that's, that's, I love, I love the story and, and I, I'm grateful for your vulnerability to share it, man, because I, I, I think it's really tough for people to own that shit. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I want to say there's a book uh, when you keep talking about mountains and there's a book that I was referred to that I'm, I haven't read yet, which my friends will laugh right now. Cause I always refer books. That I don't read. Right, right. I've read half these fucking books. Um, <laughs> No, no, no. I read like four. <laughs> they, just look, they just make me look smart. Um, I just write books. I don't read them. Um, there you go. There you go. I don't need to read them. I write them. Um, <laughs> just write these motherfuckers. That's it. Um, so yeah, reach me. No, uh, Second Mountain by David Brooks. So, so I don't know if you read that book or not, but I have a friend who referred it to me last week because we were talking about the fact that I'm on my next mountain right now. And that what served me in the last mountain, I'm now having to go and climb that next mountain and I'm a different person. And that part of this is the greatness machine. That's part of this next mountain, dude. I was telling a, a mentor of mine today, I said, dude, I don't, I, I said, would well, you feel like you're like a, like a Ferrari engine that just needs to go into a new like body? And I said, no, I actually feel like I'm a fucking warrior that has all these skill sets of fucking living in, in like the, the wildlands. But I'm in this land and there's new fucking dinosaurs and shit that I've never yeah. seen before. And I'm like, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to cross the valley, but I'm going to kill some motherfuckers to get there. And, and, and I know I have the skills, but I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how I'm going to the next place. And I'm on this gnarly quest to build something great. And I don't even know what it is, but I just am following my heart and my calling. Now, yeah. most people I would say do that, but like know that I might take a few arrows I might lose a few limbs in the process and I'm gonna have to like, you know, tie a branch on to get it back. But, um, be, you gotta be okay with that. And a lot of people I've talked to would say like, 
you got to be okay with the pain you're going to feel when you go to the new dinosaur land with your fucking spears and realize they don't work against those dinosaurs and you got to figure out some new weapons that you're going to have to use. Man, you got to be okay with that journey and embrace it because that's, that's, or don't do it. Stay with the tribe, go fishing in the stream, pet your kid's head and know that you're not making it to the new land. It's your choice. That's it. That's it. Once you make that decision, you, you, you got to be all in. I mean, that's a, that's a huge piece of what we talk about. I don't care if you don't want to go to the top or, or be the best or be your personal best. I, that, that I'm, I'm not here to try to motivate you to do that. But if you tell me that's what you want to do, now we're having a different conversation and you better be prepared to do the shit that's necessary in order to do that. And I think what, what happens now a lot of times, and I'm, I'm sure you see this in business especially, is people say, oh yeah, I want X, Y, and Z. And then they don't do shit. Of course. They're not willing to take the arrows. Like you said, they're not willing to make the sacrifices. They're not willing to do the things that the other people that they're saying they want to be like are doing. They're pissed off that they're not having the same success. A year or two in, they're not where they want to be, so they just quit. And yeah. again, all of that is fine. All that is fine. It, not everybody has to have the same mindset that I have or that you have. But if you tell me that this is what you want to do, then we're going to have a different conversation. Oh, hells yeah, man. Because talk is motherfucking cheap. Believe it. It's easy to say. I used to, I used to call the, 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 these people the I'm gonna's. Yes, it's absolutely. <laughs> You're an I'm gonna. Uh, we had a question uh, from Hefe Evans, my boy Hefe. Yeah. He's my roommate from college. I love you, Hefe. I give you big kisses, brother. Um, Hefe has asked, Jimmy, did you, lean, did you lean on others to keep you motivated and working hard enough to stay at the highest level? Or was it all self-motivation? This is such oh, a great question. Yeah, dude, I, I love this question. So um, I, motivation is is an interesting topic for me. Um, there's definitely times where, you know, I felt really motivated and, and definitely times when we are really motivated. But I feel like there's more times when you're not motivated. You're not like pumped up after watching Rocky or driving to the gym with your favorite song playing or, or um, you know, somebody didn't just piss you off that made you say, okay, I'm going to go show that guy. You know, those are, those are times when you're motivated, but that's really just an emotion. So for me, it was, it was always two things. Um, the first thing was I was always looking at and following people who were already where I wanted to be, who were doing the things that I wanted to do. I tell this story a lot about um, when I got to the 49ers as a rookie and I met Terrell Owens. You know, he was the best receiver in the world at that point in time. He's a Hall of Famer now. But I remember the first time I saw him, I was like, Jesus, is this this is what an NFL receiver looks like? Then I got problems because I don't look like this guy. I mean, he's 6'3, 225, just chiseled, you know. And and so I guess to address that specifically, um, I said, okay, well, my best bet if I want to get better and make this team is to do everything Terrell Owens does exactly the way he does it to the best of my ability. And so my motivation was always, hey, I'm 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 keeping up with Terrell. I'm doing everything Terrell's doing. That that was my he was kind of my true north. You know, if he's doing it, I'm doing it. If he's not doing it, then I'm not doing that. So so wanting to to be like Terrell, which deep down was was wanting to create the best version of myself as a player, that was that was that motivation and that was all throughout my career. 
you know, different teams that I went to, I always had guys that were kind of like role models or people that I was modeling or emulating. Um, but the second piece is, and I talk about this a lot, is just the discipline, man. Like I was around so many high performers that did that just did what needed to be done, regardless of how they felt, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the conditions of their life or the team or whatever. And I think that is the the, the key. I, I've got kind of a quote card that we put out on social media that says, when motivation wanes, discipline reigns. So for uh -huh. me, yeah. So for me, motivation is good. Discipline, discipline is the key because discipline says, I don't give a shit if you feel like it or not. I don't care if you're full of energy today or if you're really motivated. You have to do what needs to be done to achieve the goal you said you wanted to achieve and to take the steps that you said you wanted to take. And to me, that is the, 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 one of the key traits of all high performers, whether it's pro athletes, whether it's CEOs. I know you can attest to this, Darius. There's a lot of shit you don't want to do. And what separates me from you is that I was willing to do it and you weren't. And that, that was, you know, how I kind of use that concept of motivation. Like, I don't give a shit if I'm motivated. This is what I need to do. And that it's funny because the, there's an old quote, I forget where it comes from, but it says, do the thing and you'll find the motivation to do the thing, right? It's like when you're, when you actually get in there and do something that you don't want to do and you're like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do it. You find yourself in this weird, um, you know, kind of mental construct where you're like, and I love the fact that I'm out here grinding and I didn't want to do it and I'm doing it anyway. And then you, then your motivation increases. So it's funny, like a half of me agrees with you and half of me disagrees with you. You want to hear how I'm disagreeing? I, I, yes, let's, let's have this. All right. So yesterday on the show, we had a Hindu priest, former Hindu monk, uh, Don Nepani, and he talked about the three parts of the brain, instinctual, in, uh, intellectual, and, influ and uh, it was instinctual, influential, and intuitive. And the part of the brain, so wh where I hear you, and it's funny because as I've grown as a leader, I've, I've actually kind of like fallen in this world and it's known as conscious capitalism, which is around awareness and around like mindset at the highest levels, like, like of enlightenment, right? Like, and that's like the striving, if you think of it from like mm -hmm. a Buddhist perspective. So a Buddhist would argue with you in, with what you just said, because they're coming at it from an angle of enlightenment not from an intellectual or strategic perspective, which is sure. I want to fucking win. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you 110%. If your goal is to fucking win, you have to do what you just said. So I'll use myself an example. I lost 150 pounds. Dude, I wasn't going to get there by meditating on a fucking rock overlooking the beach and just like hoping it would happen, right? And like, it just wasn't going to happen that way. I had to actually go and like have this crazy goal and be like, dude, I can't weigh four bills. I got to weigh 250 right? because right? I don't want to die. Um, and there was no like, like enjoying the path type of bullshit. I, I mean, when you take off 150 pounds, you're fighting homeostasis one pound at a time. Every so, single day, every hour. Yeah. It's, it's gnarly. It's hard. And so, um, I agree with you if strategically you want to win. And if your definition of winning is achievement of goals of a, and your goal is a destination. Like, I want to get this job. I want to lose this weight. I want to take on this career. I want to graduate with this degree. Those are destinations that are goal-oriented and they are a win when they happen. In order to do that, you need to come from a strategic mindset and you're, you have to be disciplined. I, so this is where I'm like, 110% I agree with you, Jimmy. 
I'm going to go the other way, which is, this is what I, cause you're talking to a motherfucking achiever, right? I know. I know. That's why I, absolutely. Right. Like, like I just have like flat feet, bad knees and I, and I'm fucking short and heavy. So I can't play sport sports except like wrestling. Um, and even then, like, I'm not, I'm not athletic enough to do it at a high level, but I'm intellectually a beast and I'm like hard worker and I'm motivator. Right. So I spent the last 42, how many, I'm 42 and like a few days old. I've spent the last 42 and probably a few days being the achiever, realizing that at some point, when you start hitting those goals, you just want a new goal, right? Ooh, I love it. It's the cocaine of life. You just want more, right? Like I just want more, right? Like there's no like satisfaction. So you hit, so like, dude, I remember when I was like, oh, once if I make six figures, I'll be so happy. And that number just moved up and moved up and moved up and moved up and moved up. Yep. Until I was like, motherfucker, when are you gonna be tired of making like, is there a number that matters? Because it doesn't seem to matter, you know? And then it was like, if I just build this house, I'll be happy. If I just buy that car, I'll be happy. If I just have 500 employees, I'll be happy. If I just have a thousand employees, I'll be happy. If I just get this award as a CEO, I'll be happy. And I realized, dude, all that's happening is I get the one second shot in the arm and it's back to work, right? So I realized something. I never enjoyed the process. It was never about the process. It was about struggling to get to the next goal, which is necessary at times. Don't get me wrong. But what I realized, and we were talking about this yesterday on the show, is the intuitive brain is all where creativity is. It's where it's, it's they call it enlightenment. It's creativity. It's learner mentality it's beginner's mind it's love it's like and, and so my new mantra dude and i'm fighting and i'm fighting myself on this every fucking day is the path is the wind i gotta love the moment i gotta love what i'm doing and it might be that it's hard but i'm loving the the complexity of the challenge and i'm not i'm not willing and i'm gonna put dude i've roughed myself up enough in my life been self-aggressive enough in my life i'm i'm actually fighting to say you lazy motherfucker. I'm not allowed to say that to myself anymore because I've been saying that to myself for, for 42 years. And I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to love myself. I'm going to enjoy the journey. Dude, I don't know where it's going to land, land me, but I'm going to fucking soak in and enjoy every second of it. And it'll take me where it's going to take me. So that's why I'm arguing with you. So, so I, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't see, I don't see um, the, the contradiction there. I don't see the argument because for me, it just, you know, kind of to qualify some of this stuff. Um, for me, the, the only real goal, only real goal is to be the best that I can possibly be. And the only reason why I set tangible or what I would call like success goals of saying like, man, I want to make 500,000 this year. I want to have this car or do X, Y, and Z um, is because those serve as little targets kind of along the way, because for me, and I don't know exactly when I, when I really figured this out, maybe it was at some point kind of, um, towards the end of my football career, when I just really started, as you said, um, enjoying the process of, and and enjoying what I was doing, dude, it, it going for a goal or trying to live a dream for me has never really been about, 100% 100% about the idea of what can you get. I have always loved the idea of who it forces me to be and as a result of that who I can become. Right? I think the pursuit of a goal is so much more about who you become rather than what you get. And so 
whether whether I am being a disciplined motherfucker about getting up at 5 a.m. and going and working out because I want to be a great football player or whether I'm being super disciplined to uh, achieve something in some other field. The point is, is that the discipline, the pain, making myself uncomfortable makes me better, period, regardless of the goal that I'm that I'm going for. So to me, it really comes down to this idea of um, um, I don't really care what I'm doing. I just want to use that to become somebody better. And those little targets along the way, those are kind of the ways that you measure it. It's like, okay, well, I definitely got better because I hit this target. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, you know, I'm better in this area because look at the result. So it's not really results driven. It's it's growth and personal development driven. And I use the goals kind of as the target to be the evidence of that of that growth. But I, I just I just want to be better. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. I love it. So you call the qualification helped me understand it better, which is if the goal, because I think a lot of people are going to get, get, could misunderstand what you first said. Because a lot of people don't think about, oh, I, my, the goal is for me to be the best version of myself. Most people like intuitively understand that, but they're like, the goal is for me to have to, to make more money, right? It's just yes. a tactical goal. The goal is for me to, you know, work less and, and make more or like whatever. They, they have these like, they're not, what you just said is a spiritual is a spiritual goal, and it is a goal what Maslow would call self actualization, right? How to be the best version of yourself, living the most engaged life. So, I agree that if your goal is that, then the you need to have targets on anything. You need to have KPIs for success, no matter what. But it's, what are you getting a KPI for? Is it to make more money? I'm going to tell you right now, making money is important to a point, and then you won't care anymore. Your love of Kobe, class of class yeah. 96. So we're yes. talking about class 96, by the way, for those of you guys, 2020, wherever the hell you are, 96 is the best year to graduate high school. Totally. <laughs> all beasts, all beasts came from the class of 96. Just 96 kicks, baby. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so Jimmy Ferris, uh, you were talking about Kobe um, and the class of 96, and then let's go start from there. Yeah, so, so Kobe, I heard an interview with Kobe around probably 2012, and he was talking about how he'd spent, you know, the first – 10 or 12 years of his career where he was really focused on just being better than the competition, right? He wanted to be better than this guy who everybody said was one of the top players. He wanted to win more rings than Jordan. It was this, it was this competition mindset. Like I'm trying to beat somebody out or be better than somebody. Mm -hmm. And he said, when he really started enjoying, really enjoying his career was when he said, you know, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but you know, really at the end of the day, 
My quest is to just see how high I can take this thing. How good can I be? I don't have to compete with these other people anymore. It's, it's literally that concept, you know, that age old concept of me versus me. The, my, my only competition is me and my perceived limits or my ceiling. And I just want to keep punching up and seeing how high I can go. How, how great can I be? And I mean, that, that really kind of spoke to me on that level of just saying, you know, you get to a point in life and this is what you were talking about kind of around money. When you said you get to make a certain amount of money, it just doesn't matter anymore. You're not trying to make money to say like, Hey man, I've got 50 million in the bank. I, I got to get to a hundred cause I got some shit I want to buy. You know, it's like, no, it, it, it becomes, it becomes an idea of, of, I want to continue to challenge myself and how much better can I be at this? And with this much more money, how much more impact can I make? And it becomes this positive feedback loop of, you know, if I can become better, like Jim Rohn always used to say, if you want things to get better, you've got to get better. Yep. And so it becomes this, this loop of like, okay, I want to personally get better so that the things that I'm doing will get better and go higher, which will then, you know, if, we're in, if you're in business, will then make more money, which will give me more power to do more things and make a bigger impact. Right. which will then motivate me to be better right. so that this will go high, you know, and, and it becomes this loop. And I think all really high performers, the best of the best in any industry throughout the history of the world have evolved to that point. I talk about it in my seminar, the evolution from competition to creation, where you stop competing and the focus goes to creating the best version of yourself, which then creates better versions of whatever it is that you're devoting yourself to. And to me, that's, that's the real magic. Yeah, man. And, and, and there's a book by David Emerald that I did read called The Power of Ted. And it's, it's, it stands for the empowerment dynamic. And one of the things around that is victim versus creator mentality, right? Mm. And to your point, you're create, when you're in a creator mentality, you really are just like thinking about how can you be the best version of yourself? How can you, there's creator, there's coach. Um, so it's all around this empowerment dynamic of the brain, which is how do I come at the world? Because the other opposite of that is you're rescuing people, you're, you're you know, beating the shit out of people because you want something out of them, or you do it to yourself, right? Yep. I'm going to, I mean, how many people whip on themselves to get more? And, and, and I think the way you're talking about it is, no, I'm going to come at it from this position of love and creation to have more impact because at a certain point, and, you know, Maslow talks about, about this uh, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is, dude, there's, there's three levels of, of need. The bottom is survival. And then we get above that. So I got food, I got shelter, I got, you know, health. Then I go above that. I want success. But what happens success only tastes good to a certain point. Then it's the same meal, right? Then it's self-actualization, which is mm-hmm. really living your calling, being the best version of yourself. So I love that, that you, you're doing that in your work. And so I have a question for, we have a question from the audience. I want to ask it. And then I want to ask you a question from, from myself. What would you say are your core values? Damn, they stole my question. <laughs> what would you say are your core values? It's two questions. So first one is, what would you say are your core values? Are, are your core values? So just top three, kind of off the top of my head, um, growth and personal development. I mean, to me, for myself and the people that I want around me in my circle, I want them to be growth-minded, growth-oriented people, like people whose mindset says, there's no, no matter how good I am, there's always more to learn. There's always room to grow. That's, that's a, that's a, 
a, a high core value for me. Um, one of the other ones is reliability. You know, I talk about that at length too. I, I, I want to be a person who other people see as somebody who's reliable, which means I do what I say I'm going to do when I said I'm going to do it. And I do it at the highest level to the best of my ability. You know that if you're, if, if you need me, if you're going to count on me, I'm going to deliver for you to the absolute best of my ability, not just show up, but, but be my absolute best. And the other one for me is, and this is something that, that our mutual friend Amber talks about all the time is connection, man. I, to me, the relationships um, are always outweigh whatever the project is or the business or whatever. I'm a connection oriented person. The best, the best memories I have from playing pro football are the dudes in the locker room that I shared a common bond with that pushed me to be better, that maybe I inspired to be better and those relationships. So it's definitely growth, personal development, reliability, and connection. I love it, man. Uh, the second question was, do you think your time in, in this pro sports had a big impact on which core values you embraced? Oh, I, I, 100. Oh boy, what a good question. 100% because, because I learned really quickly. This is kind of the genesis of the whole be a pro process. I got to San Francisco to the 49ers on my very first practice, the very first day to make super long story short, I totally flopped in this drill. This, um, they were auditioning me and some other guys to be punt returners, right. To, which is a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, catch a punt that's kicked, looks like two miles high in the air and try to catch that thing coming, coming down. Um, totally flopped The ball, hit me in the face and it was just a disaster. Um, and so my, my coach at the time, George Stewart, who was the receivers coach for the 49ers, as I was walking back into the locker room after that practice on my first day, thinking like, shit, I probably just blew it. Like they might cut me after this. And um, we talked for a minute and he said a couple things to me that, that are right in line with this. He said, um, hey, man, you know, you're a good player and you were, you were obviously good enough to get here because we, we signed you, right? You're what you did in the past was good enough to get you to this point of being a 49er. But he said, you're not an amateur anymore. You're in the pros now. And to quote him directly, he said, motherfuckers get paid to do this up here. Right. So you got to take it to another level. And what you need to know is that what got you here won't keep you here. So if you want to stay here in the pros, you have to learn how to be a pro. And that was the first time I ever heard that phrase. And that's where that came from. So I relate that to this idea of, of what I talked about, which is growth and personal development. I'd spent the last, you know, 13 years of my life working my ass off to get to that point. And I thought like, Hey man, I got this pretty well under control. Like I know what I'm doing. The first day he was like, you're not good enough, man. Like if you want to stay here, there's, there's, exponential number of levels you got to rise to. So that was when I was like, man, this, this whole thing is about constantly just trying to be better, setting a new bar and trying to get better at, at this craft. Um, The reliability. Absolutely, dude. That's why I stayed around the league for so long because coaches and organizations knew like, Hey, for whatever that guy might lack in physical stature or ability, he brings it 10 X when it comes to trust, reliability, he's always going to know what to do. You're always going to get 100% effort. And then the, the last one, um, the connection aspect of it, 
I was a dude that, that teams liked to have in the locker room because I was never a problem. I had great relationships with front office people, with coaches, with teammates. And so they knew that, that I was a guy, if I was in the locker room, then I was going to be making a positive impact in the locker room because of the connection that I had with all the people. So 100%. Yeah, man. That's awesome to hear that. And, and, it, and it's, it's a quote I always say, which is, you know, how you are anywhere is how you are everywhere. Right. And so that's just a representation of that. And look, we're, we're wrapping up here. We're coming towards the last few minutes of the show, but <laughs> the show is supposed to be like 45 to an hour. We're like, an hour. we're going to be, uh, dude, we were like 48 minutes in. I'm like, this is an hour and a half show. I know. I love it. By the way, this is a record. This is the longest show I've done. Um, and I was like, oh man, I'm loving this show. This is like, I can do this all day long. Um, you know, one of the realizations I've had, and so it's a question for you now that you've identified to me that your three core values are around growth, reliability, and, uh, excuse me, growth, reliability, and um, last but not least was, hold on, I'm, I'm going to remember it. Connection. Ah, oh, God damn it. I was going to say it. <laughs> so growth, reliability, and connection. You've identified those to be your values. And so my, what I've realized I, I've been doing a ton of work and, I, and I'm in a bunch of CEO groups and I'm, in, I'm, I'm, you know, like the cool thing about the work that you and I do is, is, and this is where I think I have a lot of gratitude for what I get to do with my day. And I'm sure you probably feel the same way is I get to be around a lot of people who are trying to make themselves into their best version of themselves. And when you're, when you're around those folks, and if you're not anyone listening to this, go be around people like that. It doesn't matter what they're doing. If anyone's not doing that and they're around you, you probably want to spend a lot less time with them. Hundred percent. Like as Jim Rohn, what's Jim Rohn says that you are the average of the five people you spend the most amount of time with, right? So, um, like, who are those five people, and 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 that's who you become, right? And so, um, what I've realized is, if you want to be the best version of yourself, the way I, the way that the formula I have, this is my magic formula, is know what your core values are, and take this and apply it to a business. You want to be the best version of your, you want your business to be the best version of itself. You want you to be the best version of yourself. These three things have to happen. Number one, you got to know, live, and bring to life your core values every day. And when you fall out of alignment with it, you got to like fight to get back into alignment. So you got to be deliberate about it and you got to be honest and you got to be authentic. And once you do that, whether in your personal life or in your business life or in your company, whatever it is, and my book's about how do you do it in a company, right? But it's the same for personal. There's no difference. Companies, by the way, Based off IRS code and corporate law, a company is a person. So, so corporations are people too, my friend. There you go, right? Corporations are people. So, so <laughs> know, live, and bring to life your core values. Hold your core values accountable in ways where they're un, you're unapologetic about it. And when you fall out of line, get back in line. Number two, know and learn your strengths. What are you good at? What are your talents? And develop those talents to the highest levels you possibly can. Don't spend a goddamn second working on your weaknesses. Collaborate I love that. for those that have the weaknesses. And so that's a strength finder uh, tool. And I'm a big strengths guy. Organization, same. Find the people that have their strengths, get them in their strengths and have them collaborate with people where they're weak and you'll have people fully engaged. So you'll be fully engaged. Your, your team will be fully engaged. And last but not least, and this is one that I just discovered about a year and a half ago. You need to practice the habit of awareness and I, and meditation is the only way that I've learned how to do that. And you can do it in an organization by taking time with each other, have some recentering, 
practice some, a little bit of group group meditation. It doesn't need to be a, I didn't say, hey, by the way, any of you assholes that think I just said, go on a silent meditation retreat with your accounting department. I did not say that. This could be two minutes before you start your huddles. Take a second, recenter, have an awareness about what you are and how you're doing the other two things I just said, and things, and things start working out in your favor. And by the way, it's way, I'm talks cheap. It's way easier said than done. I fuck up on all three of those things all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, my question to you, Jimmy, is you've identified your values. You identified your strengths, and it seems like you're pretty aware. When you put, it, do, you, do you find credence in what I just said, or is there any holes you're going to be able to poke in what I said? Because I, 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 want, I want to hear from someone that's, that I think has kind of went through the valley of darkness, came out, and started thriving again to go up that next mountain. What do you think makes you your best version of yourself? Is it what I just said, or is there things you would add to that? Yeah. So, so the only, the only thing I, I would slightly disagree with you on, and it's, it's small. Um, and I think context matters, right? Where you're applying what I'm about to say matters. Um, I've heard that argument about only work on your strengths versus strengthen some of your weaknesses. I come from a life where um, I had to do both. It was in my best interest to do both. Like the things that I, that I was not good at at different times, I worked my ass off to be better in those areas while still strengthening the strengths. I'll give you just a, a quick example. When I was in high school, dude, I was small, slow, skinny, not strong, hadn't, didn't start lifting weights till I was 14 or 15. Um, and so knowing that I had those deficiencies, what I did was got really, really good at the skill type stuff, right? So I had these physical deficiencies around athleticism and strength, and, but I worked my skills, catching the football, all different types of ways so that I basically never dropped the ball. I became very, very proficient at catching the football, um, real specific at route running and being able to set people up so that even though I wasn't fast enough to run by them, I could set them up with different moves, running routes to still get open. And so I got really, really good at those things. And along the way, I'm lifting weights every day to get stronger. I'm out on the track with the track team running sprints to get faster. I'm wearing those, remember those old strength shoes they had when we were kids that you could do with the big platform? Dude, I'm wearing, yep, I'm wearing those to try to increase my vertical um, I'm eating 6,000 calories a day to gain weight. And what happened for me was my skill level went like this around those skills. And then as I continued to strengthen those weaknesses, when those got up here, now all of a sudden you had a great player because it was like, dude, this guy is quick, fast, strong, explosive, and he runs great routes, catches every football, right? And so yes. I, I'm an advocate of especially in business, if, if, you, if you are weak in some area and you need to be good at it, if you suck in sales, like you better fucking take a course and get better at sales. You better get around some really good salespeople. But, but there's context to that. And, I, and, and the, 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 the examples that you gave, 100% true. There's things that I'm, 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 I'm never going to be a guy that develops my own website. Like I just don't want to do it. It's a weakness right. of mine. I'll hire somebody to do that, right? Um, but for me, to answer your question, for me, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of have this little philosophy around um, that it all starts with clarity, okay? 
And, and I think this dovetails with a lot of what you said, you know, you talked about know your core values, clarity, right? Um, to me, that's clarity of what I call clarity of person. Who am I? Who do I want to become? And who might I need to become in order to go to this next level? Um, you know, a lot of people are, are so afraid to, to be somebody different because they feel like that's inauthentic. But what I mean by that is um, if, if whatever it is that you're trying to do is going to require you to, um, you know, maybe change your lifestyle or adopt new habits or behave differently, then if that's something that you really, if you're talking about something you really want and that's what's required, then, then you need to be willing to do that, right? So clarity of person, who do I want to be? Who do I need to be? And to your point, who am I? What are my core values? Um, the next one is clarity of purpose. You know, like what exactly am I trying to do? You think about like a map, like the Apple apps map, right? You want that thing to give you directions. Well, you got to put in a destination point. You got to know what it, where you're trying to go, because until you do that, it cannot formulate the plan or the route to get you there. Right. So I, I talk about a lot about clarity of purpose, outcome, objective, you know, if, if my goal, um, people say, okay, well, I just want to, I want to, um, I want to exercise and get in shape. Well, 42 year old me is trying to get leaner and smaller and be, you know, ripped. 16 year old me was trying to put on 40 pounds and get more muscular and all this type of stuff. So without having the clarity of exactly what I was trying to do, those two workout plans are going to be a lot different, right? So you got to identify with clarity exactly what your purpose is because that's going to um, really inform the last one, which is what I call clarity of plan, which is you, you, you then have to put the plan in place in some way, shape, or form. So many people will say they want to do something or they'll have a dream and they, they, they stop at the plan stage. They go from, here's the dream, here's where I'm starting, here's the destination, and that's, I'm just going to focus on that, and this is where I'm trying to get. Mm-hmm. But, there, they, but there's never been any clarity around the plan as to how I'm actually going to get there. And so, to me, that, that's always kind of the, that, that's part of the blueprint that I, that I lay down on top of. If somebody said, hey, man, um, you know, I want you to try to become a, a pilot, I'm like, okay, well, I go through those. Who do I need to become, right? What exactly am I trying? Am I going to fly F-16s? Am I going to fly Cessnas? Am I going to, you know, and then plan, okay, how do, we, how do we get there? You know, you can apply that process, getting clarity around the person you need to be, the purpose, outcome, objective, and the plan. And I, I always start there. I always start with that blueprint. I love it, man. I'm going to, I'm going to argue with you about the, about, I agree with you on context. If you're playing sports, like there's, there's, I think, I think there's certain jobs or requirements where you've got to hit a minimum threshold or, or you want to, if you don't have certain skills, like you can't, you don't even get a seat at the table. Right. right. So like saying, well, Hey coach, like I'm fast. I don't, I don't really want to lift weights. Like fucking beat it. Like I got five guys that will take your job. Right. right? So, so I think that there is certain context around that. Um, I think in business though, where the stakes are not as high necessarily, um, or you have the resources where I can say like, I'm not good at that. I'm going to hire a team where I can pay for someone to, to, you know what I mean? Like from a coaching perspective, I would don't say, you think, don't you think though, like for instance, take, take an example where, 
you know, we talk about leadership all the time. You take, take like a CEO, right? And we talked on our, when, when, when you were on my show about how a leader sets the tone. Yes. Right? The leader, what, what the leader says matters. So if, and this may be a bad example, um, but. No, let's do it. I'm the, I'm the CEO, Darius CEO. Let's do it. So, so if you're the leader of the company, and one of the things that this, if you're the CEO of this company, you just, let's say you get hired by this company. It's not one that you created. And this, this, this company does like these weekly meetings where um, they're kind of like level set or, you know, some type of, of motivational, inspirational, whatever, just a, sure. a weekly, like, like, like a, a Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort used to do those every day. He'd go right. out onto the sales floor and just pump everybody up or whatever. If that's a requirement and you are an absolute terrible speaker, horrible presenter, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be to your benefit? Wouldn't it behoove you, as they say, to try to work to become a better speaker, a better communicator so that you could more effectively communicate your core values or the vision of the company or the things? So when I, when I argue you on that point, I'm just talking about things like that, that there's areas that it, it behooves us to work on a weakness a little bit better so that it actually strengthens our strengths by working on the weakness. So my answer to you is yes and no, right? So, so this is the, we're, we're, we're going to go with context. And then, and then um, I, I, dude, I can talk to you all day, brother. Me too. But, I know. I love it. Uh, um, but so here's my yes. Yes. If Jordan Belfort was like this, like terrible introvert strategic dude that didn't like tossing midgets in the middle <laughs> and shaving teammates heads in the middle of a, of a sales rally, I would say, dude, yeah, he's a CEO. There is a potential requirement. He's the leader. So part of being a leader is you do, people are going to look to you at moments for communication. And so you can't just say, I don't ever talk, but here's the but. So yes, he should do what he can to be as effective as that as possible, despite his stage fright, despite his abilities, despite him getting nervous, despite his hatred for public speaking, he should probably develop that skill. Should he spend a shit ton of time to become the Jordan Belfort that now is out of prison and doing like, like as a motivational speaker? Right. Probably not. That's probably not a good use of his time because he's working out of his strengths all the time. And when you work out of your strengths, it's tiring, right? Yes. No so, question. So it drains your energy, right? When you're working, you know when you're working in your strengths because you get energy. You know when you're working out of your strengths because it drains your energy, right? So I would say he should not try to become the world's best speaker because he's never going to be the world's best speaker. He's going to be fighting guys like Jimmy and Darius that are going to be fucking crushing him on the right. stage, right? So like, I don't even have to think about it um, and I could speak. Like, and, so, and so he'll always be playing second fiddle or 10th fiddle. He'll be freaking getting me a cup of coffee while I'm on stage before someone wants to hear his sorry ass on stage. So my point is, is he should not try to go become the world's best speaker because it's working outside of his strengths. But to your point, yes, he should develop it if the job requires that of him to a certain degree so that when he's called on to do it, he can do it. I will say though, if I'm the CEO, I don't have that skill set, and I know a company needs that strength. I'm gonna go find who's the next person in my organization who's not the CEO, but has an affinity for that. Yes, right? of course, uh, and, of course. And, and they're going to be the spokesman. They're going to go out there and motivate. I'm going to come out, do my wave. And my business is a good example of this. The chairman of my company, Stavros, who's my business partner, my ex-business partner, quiet guy, man of few words, very stoic, dude, great leader. But he is, he, but he, like, you go and ask him to go get in front of the crowd and do the Darius show, he's going to be like, I'm not into it. Yeah. 
I'm on the other side. And he was the chairman and founder of the company, right? He became, we became business partners, but that was his style, dude. Like, and so for him to go and spend a ton of time becoming the world's best public speaker, I don't think he would enjoy the process, number one. And number two, if push came to shove, yes, he can do it. And he should develop to a point where he can, where he, can, and he has done that. But he shouldn't spend it. And my only point was, don't spend all your time trying to become the best at something that you're that you're it's really not a strange. Go go and do what Jimmy did. Go and learn how to catch a ball with your pinky toe and your pinky finger, and be the best catch. You know, do the things yep. that you you worked around it, and you became really good at areas you did have strength in. It, but you develop where you needed to to get the job done. That's only my point. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. My my goal now, for instance, in what I'm doing in business now is is obviously to operate in my strengths and just try to close the gap a little bit. And maybe, maybe, maybe competence is the right word. Just become competent. I'm not trying to turn my weaknesses into strengths. I just want to be competent in areas where where I'm weak. So I can at least kind of hold my own in in some of those areas. So I mean, I, I I think honestly, I think that we 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 virtually agree on it. We just I've just got a slightly different yeah, yeah. mindset around it. Yeah, which is great. I mean, it's all good. It's a, it, yeah, I love it. And I'm I'm trying to start some shit on the show so that we get some some. This is like The Bachelor. <laughs> um, hey man, so let's wrap it up here because uh, I think everyone's got to get back to work and they can't listen to us all day. Um, dude, where can people find you? What do you got going on? What, what like how can people get into the Jimmy Ferris world? Couple ways. So I'm on all social platforms. Um, pretty much all of them are just at Jimmy Ferris. So Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook. The uh, Be a Pro Facebook page is official Jimmy Ferris on Facebook. YouTube. Um, if you just Google search Jimmy Ferris, you'll see our YouTube channel. And also JimmyFerris.com. You can go there and uh, drop us an email to join the inner circle. Get um, email drips from us. Um, you know, in the COVID, in the COVID era, what I've been doing mostly is some um, online seminars and things like that, but we're, we're, we're going to move into some more public things. Um, book launch coming towards the end of the year, um, kind of in the process of putting the finishing touches on the be a pro book, which will talk about everything that we just talked about and much more in much more detail. Um, so yeah, I I'm, I'm live on my show, the be a pro series two or three times a week. Uh, which again, you can find on YouTube um, or on those Facebook pages and um, go to that, go to my, um, my webpage, jimmyferris.com. Give me your email so that we can stay in touch and, and kind of continue the conversation. Sweet. I'll make sure the team puts that in the comments section guys, so that you have all the places to find Jimmy Ferris at our main man. Dude, this has like been such a killer 90 minutes. What, I love it. man. What a treat. I like that. It felt like 30 minutes. I know, man. That's that's just how this is. We we got we got a future together, my friend. No question, uh, um, guys. Um, thank you so much. We got one more show with Isabel Prochoy today. She's one of the world's top, um, basically, life coaches around transitions in life, um, especially at career transitions. And she's just a really amazing person. Uh, can't wait for you guys to see that show. Uh, guys, sign up at the Real Darius M on Facebook to watch us live on there. Go to YouTube and type in The Greatness Machine. You'll find our shows there, subscribe to the show, or go to my website at therealdarius.com and do all my social. Looking forward to building up the following so we can have more and more of these talks with greater and great, greater voices and people like Jimmy Ferris that can be a part of this um, will continue to be a part of it. So brother, I'm so grateful to have you. Boom. This is like, Thank it's, you, it's man. been so cool to see you the, twice this week. And um, 
and stay on, dude. Um, I want to chat with you for a second. But guys, yeah. have a good weekend. We'll talk to you guys. Oh, we'll talk to you later on today. Peace. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.